Well, I did one film, uh, Batman and Robin, which was a... Yes. Oh, no. oh, thank you. This is a disaster. But other than that, there's no reason for me to have ever done anything to go to Comic-Con. But you, you, cause didn't you apologize to the crowd at Comic-Con for Batman and Robin? I always apologize for Batman and <laughs> Let me just say that uh, I actually thought I destroyed the franchise until they brought it back. You know, they, somebody else brought it back years later and changed it. But, you know, I thought at the time this was going to be a very good career move. Um, it wasn't. <laughs>
um, Batman Returns for its 30th anniversary. But since Batman Returns is a Christmas movie and everybody else in the world is covering it right now, we are going to celebrate Batman Returns this year for Christmas. So we're still going to get it within its 30 year time frame. We're just going to do it at a little bit different time than everybody else. And I think that'll be fun. Uh, And also it gives us a Christmas episode to do, right? Absolutely. And and just for myself, um, I kind of, you know, we, we talked about what we wanted to do for, you know, whether we wanted to cover Batman Returns or Batman and Robin or, or both. And, me myself as just a fan of other podcasts you know we get a lot of batman returns content right now so i'm listening to that stuff already so i really i think it's more fun for us to talk about something different as opposed to just kind of talking about the same stuff everyone else is so i get to listen to that stuff have enjoyment out of that and hopefully some of our listeners can get some enjoyment out of something different from us Oh yeah, and and I of course I'm expecting bukus of downloads for this episode because we just <laughs> we just know how universally beloved Batman and Robin is. So. You, you know what would be really funny? I actually thought about this is is title the episode the Batman anniversary and just leave it vague and see if people download it and see if they expect Batman Returns. Yeah, and then a week later, I'm going to change the title to 25 Years of Batman and Robin. Exactly. <laughs> that is very sneaky, and I do not know if our fans would appreciate that, or <laughs> listeners. I don't, I won't I'm not so saying to lie. Say fans. I didn't say label it as Batman Returns. I just said, the Batman anniversary everyone is talking about, <laughs> and then, you know, and the Batman animated series stuff. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, <laughs> let's get into it. Let's, uh, let's celebrate... Yeah, yeah, we'll go with celebrate 25 years of Batman and Robin. Okay, so Batman and Robin was released on June 20th, 1997. So we're we're right around the the exact date. I think we're going to be a day late maybe. Maybe I can get this out on the 20th. But anyway, uh, yeah, June 20th, 1997. Uh, its premiere was actually in it in uh, Los Angeles on June 12th of 1997. And of course, we have starring as Batman, George Clooney, who replaces Val Kilmer in this film. We have Chris O'Donnell as Robin and Dick Grayson. We have Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze, Uma Thurman as Poison Ivy, Alicia Silverstone as Batgirl, Barbara... What was her last? Barbara Wilson? Yeah. Oh man. Barbara I Wilson. But Is anyway, that what it was? It, yeah, I think so. Uh this film was obviously directed by uh the late Joel Schumacher, rest in peace Joel, uh written by Akiva Goldsman and the music was again by Elliot Goldenthal. Um the film had a box office total of 238.2 million dollars which Based on its and it's it's weird because some places list its budget at 125 million and some places listed it as 160 million. So it it's somewhere between those two numbers. But either way, um, with that kind of budget, 238 million dollar box office is let's be honest, it's 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 a flop. Um, it made 100, 107 million dollars domestic and 130 million international. Um. But yeah, uh, let's let's talk about kind of where we were 
1997 with this film. Joe, I'll let you go first. It's it's June of 1997. There's a brand new Batman film on the horizon. It's just come out. Everybody's excited. You know, everybody's got the Batmania. Um, what was your experience? First of all, leading up to the film, were you excited for it as as a as a youngster, Joe Forno? And uh, how was your experience watching the film? Well, I got to be honest. I, at the time, I mean, right after Batman Forever, and let's be honest, as kids, we all loved Batman Forever. Mm-hmm. And when when the hype for this started, I remember you know hearing about George Clooney getting cast. This was right around the time where I really started following this stuff. I didn't follow that much leading up to Batman Forever. Uh, for mm-hmm. Batman Forever, I was eight years old for the lead up. So for this, I was around ten. I remember hearing about George Clooney. Everybody knew George Clooney from, uh, you know, ER and and all that stuff. Obviously, I mean, I didn't watch ER at ten, but you knew of George Clooney and you knew he was a big actor. I remember actually either reading interviews or articles in whether it be, I don't remember what it was back then. I guess it was entertainment weekly was where I would read it um, about the fun they were having on set. And you still hear those stories about how much fun they were having on set about Clooney and O'Donnell being practical jokers. And it seemed like they were having fun making the movie. And I even remember when the news of Bane came out, I didn't really know much about Bane. Other than I read The Nightfall and Beyond, I think it was called. Like the the children's, like the, I guess it was like a young adult novel. Mm-hmm. So I knew of Bane that way. But I remember even a friend of mine's sister, an older sister, was like, hey, Bane's going to be in the movie. He's the one that broke Batman's back. So like there was some hype around it. And then, you know, the movie comes out. And I got to be honest, as a 10-year-old... I was not one of those people that thought this was the worst thing in the world. I was, you know, a kid. I saw a Batman movie on the screen. I knew it wasn't as good as Batman Forever. But I didn't hate this movie. I thought it was, you know, weird. But I still had fun with it. And it wasn't until I got older that I realized it was, you know, as terrible as it is. Mm -hmm. But I guess... It's hard for me to even grasp how bad it was as a 10-year-old. Because, again, it was just Batman on TV. I didn't have the internet to tell me how dumb this movie was. I didn't talk to anyone else that was really critical of this kind of stuff. I mean, the people that I talked to that would be critical of this stuff would have been critical of it even if it was good. Like, oh, it's just a superhero movie. Who cares? So I did have a very weird experience with this. And I, I still remember buying the toys for it. And again, I, I just, I know it wasn't a good movie, but as a kid, I was just, it was Batman. It was new costumes. It was new villains. And that was it for me. I didn't really think about the actual film itself. Mm. Well, I, I don't know if I was a weird kid. I don't know. Um, in 1997, June of 97, I was eight years old. Um, if you, if you know any of my backstory with Batman, you know that in 1995, I fell in love with Batman because of Batman forever. Now there's a weird situation where after I had seen Batman forever, that crit, the Christmas of 95, I received VHS copies of Batman 89, 
Batman Returns, and Batman Forever. So, for whatever reason, from switching to Keaton, from Keaton to Kilmer, I didn't have much of a disconnect for whatever reason. Um, but I remember specifically, and my mom has told me this many times, when we went to see Batman and Robin opening weekend, because I was super excited. For whatever, during the trailers, I didn't notice much. But mom said the first time that you actually see Bruce Wayne in the movie, eight year old me sitting beside her said, That's not Bruce Wayne. <laughs> and for whatever reason, that kind of set the table of I knew when I left the theater as an eight year old, I didn't like this movie. Mm-hmm. Which is weird. You, I mean, this. I was the perfect age for what they were going for. Um, just selling toys, you know, whatever. But there was such a disconnect with what I had seen in '95 and what I saw here in '97. And I'll be honest with you, for a very, very long time, I hated this movie. Um, it didn't. It didn't start immediately. It was almost like a little slow poison. Like this movie started a slow poison that almost killed my love of Batman because as the years went on until 2005, every year that went forward from 97, I kind of drifted from Batman a little bit more and more and more. And then 2005, obviously with Batman begins, it it was, you know, kindled. The love was kindled again and, and we were off to the races, but yeah, I, at eight years old, I didn't know then that what what I know now that it's it's way over the top and it's campy and it's just you know it's it's way overproduced and all that good stuff. We all know that, but I don't know that I knew that at eight years old. I don't know if that I was advanced enough to know that, but I knew I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. And for everybody that says um, Batman and Batman Forever and Batman and Robin are the same film. There are story beats that are the same. Yes, I, I'll, I'll agree with you there. I mean, the script is almost page for page the same movie, but there are key and drastic differences, in my opinion, between the two films. I think, in my honest opinion, I think Joel Schumacher was trying with Batman and Robin and with Bat, or excuse me, with Batman Forever and with Batman and Robin, he was making a, a toy commercial. He had just given in at that point. And I think, he, well, I, oh, go ahead. Well, um, just to piggyback on that, I think you're right. With Batman Forever, he had a movie that he wanted to make, and he got some pushback on it and had to, you know, kind of make it more comic booky or more cartoony. Mm-hmm. And it worked to an extent; like it blew up. That that movie did, you know, that movie was a hit. So it was almost like he was like, "Well, I guess the studio was right. This is what people want." Right, and it was the wrong message to get from Batman forever being a success, but I can't blame them either for learning quote unquote, the wrong lessons. Well, I think there was still enough. Um, and, and and I will never tell you, yes, I have a lot of sentimental love for Batman forever, but I will never tell you that it's a, it's a five star epic Batman movie. It definitely has its drawbacks and its flaws and it's, you know, it's, it leans towards that cartoony, um, you know, Saturday morning cartoon, sell you a toy aesthetic and vibe, but there's enough in there that makes it a compelling Batman story. I think that just 
got dumped. I think they took, like you said, they, they learned the wrong lessons from Batman Forever because the tonal shift that they wanted Joel to do, which he ended up doing with Batman Forever and cut out a bunch of that movie, um, I think they latched onto that and they said, this worked. Let's do that. More of this, more of the of the over the top, the campy, you know that that kind of thing, and that's what they got with Batman and Robin. So, yeah, um, I, I will say I think the key point I just made is, and, and I've got it on my notes here. Val Kilmer is what I miss the most. Um, I wish I wish Val Kilmer would have been able to play Batman again. Uh, and I think finally, all these years later, he's finally kind of embracing that Batman was a huge part of his life. But I hate that he missed the opportunity. But also, at the same time, I think he kind of dodged a bullet. Because George Clooney is very open about, like, this is one of the biggest regrets of his career. <laughs> so, I I don't know if you, if you have anything... Uh, you want to point out about Kilmer or Clooney here, but yeah, that's that's where I'm at with the I think that the shift in actor really started the the downward slide for me. And see, for me, because I had already seen Batman '89 and Batman Returns before I saw Batman Forever. Mm-hmm. To me, it was no big deal to switch actors. Like, I honestly would have been surprised if Kilmer stayed on. I think I remember being surprised that Chris O'Donnell was staying on because, is me as a kid, it was just like, oh, like they just get different actors to play these people. And I guess because I knew about it so early, I just accepted it going in. Mm-hmm. Where, um, and I didn't have that emotional attachment to Val Kilmer like you did. Uh, and I will say Batman Forever for the longest time was my favorite Batman movie. As a kid, that was my wheelhouse. I mm. mean, I was I was eight when Batman Forever came out. So the hype around that movie was huge. And then with this one, I remember feeling almost the same level of hype. And again, I just came out of it with, hey, this is... It was almost like the Batman formula at that time for me was, hey, we got Robin in this one. Now we're going to get Batgirl in this one awesome, I want another Batman character. And then it, I over, I remember even thinking like, okay, so for the next one, we're going to get Batgirl for the whole movie, and I wonder what else they're going to introduce. Like, And I didn't know what they were going to introduce. I didn't know anything about the Bat family back then. But it was more like, hey, we're going to get a full movie with all three of them next time. Awesome. What villains are we going to get for the next one? And I didn't follow all the stuff leading up to the next one. That never happened. But I was just, I still was on that train of like, hey, it's another Batman movie. I'm good. Yeah. And I remember getting the toys and stuff. And again, it was just, it's hard for me to go back and say exactly how I felt with everything. I remember it, I definitely did not like it as much as Batman Forever. So don't get me wrong in thinking that, like, I loved this movie. Like, I knew something was off. I think it was the villains. To me, the villains in this one weren't as compelling as on a, you know, a superficial, as a kid level. <laughs> they just weren't as good to me as the villains in Batman forever. Now, as an adult, I could sit here and tell you why they're kind of on the same level to me as an adult, as sad as that is, or sacrilegious as that might be. I'm not crazy about, you know, uh, Tommy Lee Jones's two face, but as a kid, I thought Tommy Lee Jones was awesome. And so here, well, to your point, um, in 1995, Tommy Lee Jones and Jim Carrey were at the height of their powers. In 1997, 
for that time, Arnold Schwarzenegger's career trajectory was, it wasn't at the peak of his powers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but as a kid, I didn't no, know No, you didn't know that. But I'm saying yeah. as a general for people, because you're right. The, oh, the villains, yeah. I think, are not as strong here. And and as part of it is that curb appeal, because at the time in 95, Tommy Lee Jones and Jim Carrey had massive amounts of curb appeal. Mm-hmm. And I think they thought Arnold Schwarzenegger did, but I think they overestimated that. Uma Thurman was not in 97 who Uma Thurman is now. And nobody knew, nobody knew or knows who Jeep Swenson is. Yeah, that was actually my next point was going to be like, that's kind of unheard of to just, they basically just got a faceless guy as Bane. Yeah. Um, well, the, this that's because now, the was character was a, was a throwaway. What year was Pulp Fiction? 98? Uh, I, I'd have to look I it up. I thought Pulp Fiction was prior to this. I thought that's why Uma Thurman was big at this point. It was 94. Oh, okay. But I mean, so yeah, I mean, but still, but again, as a kid, yeah, yeah, as a kid, like that didn't mean anything to me. She was, you know, Poison Ivy, and I just don't think I was crazy about Poison Ivy as a villain as a kid. And again, those two villains together don't make much sense either. I think that's probably the biggest. You could argue Two Face and Riddler don't have that much in common either, but it's hard to talk about these movies, you know, without talking about them together. Yeah, but I mean, it's. I mean, if you want to get into like specifics of the film or, or other stuff, like yeah, well, I kind of want to because I know the trajectory that that, that Batman and Robin conversations usually go. I kind of want to started with the negatives and then go because I mm-hmm. do have positives about this film. Um, yeah. which I'm. If you'd have told me that. Five six years ago, I'd have told you you're crazy. I would have just crapped all over this thing the whole time. But I do, I do have positives, and I have some interesting little tidbits I want to talk about. But I, I wanted to kind of start negative and go positive. That way, we kind of finish this conversation on a positive trend. Um, but one thing I, I want to bring up, and this is, uh, did you know that Kevin Feige has been quoted as saying that Batman and Robin may be the most important comic book movie ever made. I did not know that he said that, but there is definitely an argument to be made for that because where would comic book films be? Well, yeah, and let me let me give you the whole quote. So this was this was uh, in an interview for the LA Times in 2009. And Kevin Feige said Batman and Robin may be the most important comic book movie ever made. It was so bad that it demanded a new way of doing things. It created the opportunity to do X-Men and Spider-Man adaptations that were not campy. And I believe that is a, that is a, a, a massively underrated quote. Cause I don't see it a lot, but it's very true because not only did it change the way that, that studios did superhero and comic book films, because at the time they were just fodder for for toys, um, it it made people make smart and quality films. Because I mean, without this film, I don't think we get Batman Begins. And I know that people no, have said that don't. people, a yeah. lot of people have said that. But seeing Kevin Feige say how important this film was is kind of eye opening. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, here's another here's another fascinating thing to me. Mm-hmm. 
think about how <laughs> I don't know if the saying would be how thin of a line or or how how close that line is from Batman Forever to Batman and Robin. As an adult now, when you look at those two films, it's very, very <laughs> like Batman Forever was accepted and loved. Batman and Robin changed the game. Mm-hmm. But it shows you how how hard it is to find that sweet spot because I don't think they're that drastically different to warrant the the complete opposite reactions of fans. Does that make sense? I'm not trying to throw Batman Forever under the bus here. No, I'm no, not. you're right because thinking about it's it that not way, like we got it's not like we got the Dark Knight and then Batman and Robin. No, no, <laughs> you no. You know no, what I mean? Right. We got we got one that was starting down that wrong path, mm-hmm. and then this one took it down that path at full speed, and it was almost like because we got Batman Forever, the fans almost were like, "Yeah, that was a lot of fun." But it's almost like they then demanded more and they got less. And I give, you know, the people that were older than me or more, you know, wiser than me credit for that. Because if it weren't for those people demanding more out of their franchises, we wouldn't have gotten what we've gotten in the last few years to the point of being spoiled. Well, and it makes you wonder, had they towed the line a little more, had they gone you know, more a little more balanced approach, sort of like they did mm-hmm. with Batman Forever, what the landscape of comic book films would be like today. Exactly. Because, I mean, this caused such a shift that if I think if they, I don't know, I think everything looks completely different if they make a film a little more, I don't know, reserved, maybe? Exactly. So, yeah, I, it's, it's it's a great point to be made. Yeah, it's it's just, it's fascinating to me, especially since... Back then, we didn't have the films we have now to compare it to. Mm-hmm. It was just, you know, we really just had the Batman films and then, you know, the Superman films, you know, prior. But it wasn't like it is now where we have like so many levels. And, you know, now a movie comes out that's mediocre and everyone says it's the worst movie ever made. Where in 97, when this movie came out, you could argue that this was the worst movie ever made and people did make that argument. But me as an eight year old kid just saw Batman on the screen. I mean, I'm sorry, as a 10 year old kid, I, I didn't even think about it. So it's, it's just fascinating how the, the landscape has changed so much. And yeah, like Kevin Feige said, it is to this movies, <laughs> I guess you could say credit that the audience demanded more. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, well, let's see. I I don't want to spend the entire time beating beating up the film. So let's uh, let's talk about some positives of the movie. Tell me about some some positive takeaways you have from Batman and Robin, Joe. Well, uh, I will say, leading up to the film, I had a lot of fun with the build up, and I actually got to say, do you remember? <laughs> I'm looking at it in front of me right now. They actually had tie-in uh, young adult novels, kind of like the Batman just had. Um. Oh, I do remember those. So there was a Robin and a Batgirl. I think those are the only two that were out. I've read both of them. The Robin one is the only one I remember. And I lost the Batgirl one years ago. I don't know what happened. I still have the Robin one. The funny thing with the Robin one is, I swear, if I'm remembering it correctly, it's almost like he becomes Nightwing before the movie, the events of this movie. 
So like I don't remember anything about him, but yeah, I remember that they so, come out. It's so dumb because it almost makes the movie more redundant because the book is actually him getting into a fight with Batman, him leaving, and then coming back. Oh wow. Doesn't that sound familiar? Like like they, the whole point of Batman and Robin is that they're fighting because Robin wants to break free and do his own thing. So it was kind of weird to have the novel be that way and the novel takes place prior to the movie. Okay. But interesting. The tie-ins for this were fun. Like with that kind of stuff, um I guess it was was it who who did the you know the happy meals and stuff? Was it McDonald's for this one? Ooh. Was it McDonald's? I remember having the cups. I don't remember if it was McDonald's. That's why I assume it was McDonald's. Because my family didn't go to like, I didn't go to other places as much as McDonald's. Well, I remember, and and they show it, I I see it all the time now on Twitter. Um, I remember the cup, like Batman running and morphing into the cup. Um, Oh, okay. Yeah, I remember that commercial very well. Oh, it was Taco Bell. That's what it was. It was Taco Bell. Wow. Yeah. So I don't, I'm surprised that I, I must have bugged my parents to take me to Taco Bell. <laughs> yeah, because they actually had a, I'm, this is all coming back to me now. Taco Bell had a contest uh, where you could win a replica of the Batmobile as the grand prize. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, that, um, it, that also this film, while we're talking about the marketing, I mean, the film had, uh, it had, Lots of theme theme park representation. It had uh, a new roller coaster that went to Six Flags uh, yep. called Batman and Robin the Chiller, which is you know fitting. It's not the- there. Yeah, it's not there anymore. Because um, that's there is a, a Six Flags near me. I never got to ride that because I was a chicken. And I never did roller coasters when I was a kid. But the Batman ride is still there. I want to say Batman and Robin the Chiller was repurposed for the Dark Knight. Maybe. Maybe that's right. Um, and then another ride called that one opened Six Six Flags Great Adventure. That's where I'm at. Okay. Yeah. And then Mr. Freeze opened at Six Flags Over Texas and Six Flags St. Louis. But those opened in ninety eight, those two. Mm-hmm. So interesting. But yeah, they had Taco Bell and obviously they had toys. Lots and lots and lots of toys. I didn't have any toys from this movie, believe it or not. <laughs> So I did, and I, I'll be honest, like, it's funny because now, like, I have nieces and nephews that are around, like, 9, 10, 11 years old. No kids play with toys at 9, 10, 11 anymore. Man, I'm looking back at this movie, and I'm like, man, I was the dumb kid that loved this movie and got toys for it. And I was 10, 11 years old. Mm-hmm. I remember going to Toys R Us and buying the toys for this. And I remember the the Robin figure is, like, a navy blue, and it's red as opposed to, like, the black in the movie. Like, but, like... It was more blue than than Clooney's Batman suit in the toy line. It was weird. Oh wow! But yeah, I I had I remember having Batman and Robin and Mister Freeze. That may have been all I had. I might have had like the the ice vehicles at the end too. I don't remember what else I had. I don't. I think that might have been it. Well, I currently have a Chris O'Donnell Robin statue that is from the Warner Brothers store from this movie. Yes, and that that is. More, I have more Batman Robin merchandise now than I did when I was eight (laughs) years old, which is funny because I I also have the the Funko Pops. I have um, Batman, George Clooney's Batman, and I have Mister Freeze and Poison Ivy. So yeah, and I I currently have nothing 
Batman and Robin. Now that I think of it, because I never got the Funko Pops. Um, I have the Batmobiles. I have the I have a couple Hot Wheels Batmobiles. Nice. Or actually, no, I just have the one because they never made they never made the larger version of it that I have with you know Batman Forever and everything. But I have the I have the little one. Well, with the Funkos, I've said for a while now. I think the biggest sin with the Batman line that Funko has committed is we do not have a we don't have a Chris O'Donnell Robin. We don't have one from Batman Forever or from Batman and Robin. And to me, you should definitely have the one for Batman and Robin because Robin's suit from this movie is the best thing about the movie. And as a kid, I didn't even know that was the Nightwing suit. I was confused by that. Like, I, I was like, oh, that suit's really different. But it, it was cool looking. Like, as a kid, I, I didn't need to know it was the Nightwing suit. I think it's it's kind of interesting that they chose to do that. And I, I do agree. I like the suit. I think it's cool. Well, and I wonder if for the since since we got Batgirl in this movie... I wonder what was the third film? Was it Batman Triumphant that Joel had in? That's that's the title I always remember. But there's been multiple titles for right. that. I wonder with the nod to the Nightwing with the, with the suit. I wonder if that's the direction that Schumacher wanted to go. Now that we had Batgirl, were they going to move Dick Grayson on to be Nightwing for the third movie? It'd be interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the reason was, but I, I actually don't mind. The suits, I know everyone jokes about the bat nipples, but whatever. Like, I, I don't really care that much about the bat nipples, but I, I always thought the suits looked cool. Like, that's one thing. I I get the criticisms of the toys. Everything had to be bigger and bolder and just, you know, crazy. But the production value of this film is amazing. Whether you like it or not. I, yeah, it, it was amazing on a scale. <laughs> it's amazingly <laughs> <get> overproduced. <laughs> but I, I think it's like now looking back at, it, I think it's awesome. Like I really do. <laughs> like I, I can look back at this movie and just have so much fun with it because I don't have any ill will towards this movie. I have none. I think with Batman forever, it's frustrating to me because I watched that movie and think what could have been mm. with this. I, it's what it could have been. This is it. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, that's true. I just, you know, like there was no better movie in there. <laughs> well, <laughs> so, and, and I'll say this. It's it's actually because of you. I give you this credit because even up until a couple of years ago, I hated this film with a passion. I hated this on a level that Jamie Drury hates it. Um, <laughs> but it, through talking to you and a few more people here and there, you know, I, starting thinking about – Okay, but think about that we have Batman Begins and we have The Dark Knight and we have Affleck's Batman and now we have Robert Pattinson. I can I can look at this film now and just kind of go along with it and have a goofy fun time. And that's something I didn't think I could say, but it's true. And actually well, go go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I just like while we're kind of talking about positives, like you hear people discuss um like when you talk about Batman 89 and there's the district attorney and they're like, why didn't they make that Harvey Dent? And then you talk about Batman returns and you, um, I'm sorry, not ba- uh, Batman. 89. I'm talking about Batman returns. We're like, why couldn't they have made the Shrek character Harvey Dent? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you have all these side characters where they're like, why couldn't they make that person Falcone or that person, this or that with this movie as a kid, I didn't realize it, but the writers had a blast with like Julie Madison. I never knew that was Julie Madison. Right. I never knew that was an actual character from Batman lore. Mm-hmm. Or 
Woodrow from That's a great um, pull. Yeah. The Floronic, the Floronic Man. man like, yeah. You had to be a fan to do that kind of stuff. And most fans that were watching the movie and hated the movie didn't know who that was. Well, and so and not to mention kind of that, the nice little legacy casting of uh John Glover cuz we all as DC fans, we all yeah. love John Glover. Yep. So yeah, I mean I'm with you. There's there's a lot of little fun details in this movie that when you let go of your preconceived notions of what it is because you know what it is going in and just, you know, have have fun with it and it's a it's a great drinking game. You can <laughs> you can make so many drinking games with this movie and actually have a really good time with it. So uh but every time there's a pun, take a shot. And overproduced as it may be, I was lucky enough to go to the Warner Brothers lot um years back mm. and see the props to this film. Mm. The money is on the screen. Like <laughs> the the props are gorgeous looking. They're ridiculous, but man do they look awesome. Like they they really it's hard I I will never kill Schumacher for making this movie because I could tell he did love it. And the love went into the film. Again, I'm not going to try to defend the film itself. But when I look at it and just get rid of all the crap that's been surrounding this film for so many years, I can have fun with the stuff that is just well done. The, The few things that I really do believe are well done, he did put some care into it. And as a kid... Looking at like the batarangs, the, the the Robin had his own stuff, and, I t- and some of the stuff really is just awesome to look at, and just really, I know it was overproduced, and I know a lot of that money was just not necessary, but it wasn't like Schumacher was pocketing that money and just saying, "Ah, oh, who cares? Let's just make this movie." He put it into the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, and also, I said. While we're, again, talking about some of the positives of the movie, I will say that everything between, now that I've forgiven George Clooney for replacing Val Kilmer all these years later, um, the scenes where George is not even in the suit, the scenes between him and Alfred, I adore those scenes. Mm -hmm. I love the familial relationship between Alfred and Bruce in this movie. Now, it feels like a completely different film. It's a little jarring. Because you go from the campy, you know, way over the top stuff when Batman's in the suit to, you know, this this storyline of Alfred being sick and on death's door and um, just some of the conversations between them. I, I absolutely love. I love that you can tell that Bruce Wayne really deeply loves Alfred Pennyworth and just how affected he is by seeing this this old man come close to death. So it, I, there are moments like that that just make me feel like, Oh man, I wish, I wish they had just done a little more of this, you know? Well, and that goes to say a lot of people will just dismiss George Clooney as being miscast. And a lot of Batman fans completely disagree with that. And I, I, I know it's kind of become a thing lately where people say, no, like George Clooney would make a very good Batman in a good film. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like I'm not, I'm not breaking any ground by saying this. I know other people have said it, but I do truly believe that, that he's just anyone in this film 
would have probably had the same stigma that George Clooney has had. And it's unfair to him because I do believe if he was cast in a, you know, a serious Batman film, he looks the part. He does a great job with Bruce, with, excuse me, with Bruce Wayne. It's more just the Batman stuff on screen leaves a little bit to be desired. And I think that just goes to the type of film he's in, not him acting as it is. Well, and even if you go back to Batman Forever, if you go to if you listen to some of Val Kilmer's comments recently, like in the documentary that he did and in the book that he wrote, um it was not fun at that time being Batman. Like Val was you know, de- he was disappointed and miserable while he was on the set of Batman Forever because he felt like you know, once you're in the suit, you're just, you're isolated. You're by yourself. You can't hear anything. Nobody talks to you. You know, it's just like, it's not, he didn't have the fun time that he thought he would. So I can see where if that was the situation with George Clooney as well, like if you're getting in the suit and you're just miserable the entire time Mm -hmm. because it wasn't approached like, you know, like use the suit, like, like, um, Christian Bale did for, Batman Begins, it was just kind of let's put a name in the suit with a chin that looks good and at the end of the day, that's all that matters. But now, have you heard that George Clooney was miserable making this movie? Because I've never I haven't heard actually that. I heard, heard he had that. fun. Um, yeah, like everything surrounding it where that they were just kind of joking around and having fun on set, which again it goes to show that like it kind of went into the film they were making was the film wasn't very serious, but you could have fun on set and still make a serious movie. But I don't think which like it's, a, it's definitely two very different situations between what he felt and what Kilmer was feeling. And it might've been difference of uh, creative choices with Kilmer and, well, yeah, and I think Schumacher and everything else going on. I think Kilmer had an expectation yeah. that wasn't met. And I think mm-hmm. Clooney knew what he was in for. Yeah. Um, and Clooney's still not happy with what the outcome was, but at, at least no. during the time he, he apparently, he apparently had more fun than Kilmer did. So mm-hmm. <laughs> either way, um, but going back to Alfred, I will say there's one quote from Alfred in this movie that in, in everything that this movie is stands out for me. I, I absolutely love this quote. And to me, you can plug it into any Batman story and it fits. Alfred said, for what is Batman, if not an effort to master the chaos that sweeps our world? That is a fantastic line. I mean, that you, you could plug that into the, the Murphy verse or something serious like that right now. And, and it completely work, but that's what baffles me about this movie is there was, there were some moments where there was some real writing going on. Yeah, that's almost where you proved me wrong. Where I said like there isn't a good movie in there. Like no, like there there is some good lines. There is some again, whether there might be a good movie in there or not, there was care put into this movie. It just didn't translate to what should have been. I guess it it's hard to it's hard to justify the product that we got when the writing has a line like that, like where does that come from? Like, is that where they started and they veered off course or is that like they snuck in a good line and we're like, let's just try to get some heart in there. I I don't know the answer, but I think it's, it's okay for us to now look back at this film and, and try to pick out the positives because 
I can watch this film and just laugh at the ridiculousness and and pick out the like you said that 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 line works in any Batman film. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, okay. Well, is there any other? I, I have some little interesting um, tidbits I want to throw at you, but but is there any more really standout positives that you want to mention before I do that? Uh I don't think. I mean, I I, I still think the action is pretty entertaining um like the as ridiculous as the you know the sky surfing scene in the beginning is i i remember laughing at that but still thinking it was a blast um i think everything goes to the -the over-the-top production with me that i just think you can watch this in the background and just be you know I get that nostalgia from this movie. I know most people like would would laugh at me saying I get nostalgic from this movie, but to me, this takes me back to being a kid and not overanalyzing a movie. Mm-hmm. It just takes me back to just, hey, this is Batman. This is what it is. I didn't think about anything else, and and that's pretty much where I land with that kind of stuff with this type of film. Yeah, I, I'm with you especially now more than I was at the time, definitely more than I was at the time or the years following, but I'm, I'm right there with you. And Michael Goff being the through line, the one constant in this franchise Mm -hmm. um, to give him a great, you know, like you said, he is the best part about this film. And that, that is really a nice thing considering he is the through line between the four films. It would have been a real shame if he still wasn't, if he didn't get the send off, um, I mean, I don't want to say the send off he deserved, but at least he wasn't made a laughing stock in this movie. He was still respectable. Yeah, they could have gone the Pat Hingle route with Alfred. And thank, thank God they mm-hmm. didn't do that. Uh, also, the 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 big last big one I will point out is I do really love that they use the uh, Mister Freeze origin and Nora Freeze story from Batman the Animated Very Series. Very good point. I I want so bad for someone to use that again, but just not sugarcoat it with all the other stuff that went on. But I mean, there are even moments in that where you can see little tiny nuggets of man, what, what could have been if they'd have just used this like they, like they wanted to, but gone a little more serious with it. But yeah, Yeah. that's, that's great that they use that though. I wish, I wish it would get more use. Um, oh, and, and call me crazy. I know the Batmobile is ridiculous, which everything in this film is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. I think it looks awesome. <laughs> like, I know there's no logical reason for it to have the one seat and it be open canopy, but man, I think it looks cool in the movie. <laughs> I've heard that it looks better in person than it does on film. Yeah, I've seen it in person. And it, it is just, it goes with everything. I, I know I'm a broken record again, but the money went into it. It, it, it doesn't have to be practical. Well, when you see it in person, they don't, they don't turn the lights on, right? I don't think I saw it with the lights on. No. Okay. Maybe, but, the, maybe that helps. Cause it's a lot of neon. Oh, yeah. I like, <laughs> Hey, Batman forever had the lights on there too, man. I, <laughs> well, yes, but the Batman forever lights were, were like a, a subdued blue and the bat, the lights on the Batman and Robin Batmobile are just, frenetic in insanity especially that big light in the front but you know what i would argue that the lights make more sense 
on the Batman and Robin Batmobile, then the, why would the interior light up on the Batman Forever Batmobile? You're a crazy person, but we're going to move on. I, listen, I still, I love the Batman Forever Batmobile. It's one of my favorites. Right. But logically speaking, practically speaking, there's no reason for that thing to light up the way it does in the Batman Forever Batmobile. <laughs> At least this one, it's just like, hey, there's lights on the outside of it. Okay. <laughs> I will agree to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, but I, these little interesting tidbits I mentioned. Um, did you know, and I did the, do a little research on the background of the movie, did you know that Patrick Stewart and Anthony Hopkins were both considered for freeze? Oh my God, no. That would have been a completely different movie. If either one of those were chosen. I, I mean, it could very well be why they weren't in it. I mean... Sure, but can I mean in '97? Can you imagine a Batman movie with either one of those guys as Mister Freeze? Well, I will say I could see Patrick Stewart being comical. Mm. I could see well, Patrick Stewart because Patrick doing Stewart this has Mr. done Freeze. Family Guy and things like that. Yeah. I don't know that he would have done this though. I don't know because at no, the time he I was John Luke comedy- Picard. His comedy would have been taken a little bit more seriously than than Arnold's. Maybe that would have been very interesting. I can't see Anthony Hopkins doing comedy freeze. No, at that all. I can't see at all. Yeah, that I can't see. But I can see Anthony Hopkins as more the Batman the animated series type freeze. I I'm looking at pictures, and my Batman and Robin Batmobile was lit up when I saw it. Oh, okay. It's pretty sweet. <laughs> All right, here's a, here's another one. Now, this one's more speculative, but it makes sense. The opening line um, between Batman and Robin, when Robin says that, you know, he wants a car, chicks dig the car. I roll already. But anyway, uh, <laughs> when he says that, Batman says this is why Superman works alone. Now, there's speculation that this was used because Superman Lives was getting ready to start production. Do you buy that? No, that seems like one of those IMDb trivias that anyone could write and just hope that it was right and nobody's going to question it. I don't believe that. I think it's just back then they just kind of threw those lines away. I mean, it could be. But, I mean, Superman uh, Lives was supposed to start production in January of 98. Yeah, I mean, it could be. I just don't see why that would be the case. Right. And it could be, you know, just it, like you said, it, it could be just throw away. But it's interesting that it did fall in that same timeline as when Superman Lives was was getting ready to kick off. So, I mean, they, it, can you imagine a world where we have George Clooney's Batman and Nicolas Cage's Superman meeting? It would have been even more interesting by the fact that Tim Burton was doing that Superman movie after kind of getting pushed aside in this franchise for this Man, that would have been interesting in the internet days. <laughs> For sure. Uh, okay, so here's another one. And you probably know this one. Something from this movie was award-winning. Do you know what? Oh, um, oh no. I, I was going to say soundtrack, but... Hey, you're on the right track. The, sma- the score? The Smashing Pumpkins won a Grammy yeah, for okay. the song The End is the Beginning is the End. Which isn't in the movie. <laughs> but it's on the soundtrack. <laughs> Yes. And it was written for this movie, I, right? I believe so. It was also used in the Watchmen trailer. Oh, you're right. It was. So interesting. Yeah. And the last one I've got here, and I saved this one last because you and I both have a have a fondness for this. Um, young Bruce Wayne. In the shots where we see like the flashbacks of Alfred and the young Bruce, do you know who that actor is? 
I feel like I have known that before, but I do not remember. So the actor's name is Eric Lloyd. And Eric Lloyd was Charlie in the Santa Claus. Oh, I did not know that. Wow. There you are. I figured you would like that one. That's really cool. No, I, I did not know that. Because I, I if it was someone I would have remembered, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I remember that. No, I, I completely admit I did not know that. That's crazy. So there is some connective tissue for you. Charlie is Batman. <laughs> hey. <laughs> and I'm sure some of our fans uh, or some of our listeners that are also in the uh, real fans for real movies group will appreciate that. Cause we all know how big uh, Christmas time is around that page. So uh, my, my son who's one for whatever reason loves that movie. And that movie is on every day in our house. Yeah. But that's uh yeah, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of all I have for, for Batman and Robin so far as little interesting tidbits. Uh, but before we move on, is there anything else you want to say about Batman and Robin, Joe? No, um, I, I just love that we're at a place where and I can only speak for us. I think most fans have come to at least not be angry about Batman and Robin because of what, you know, we already discussed about how we, it did change the, the landscape. Um, <laughs> and not the, you know, intention of the film, but I, I have no problem turning this on and watching the ridiculousness that is this movie. Uh, it, it's, we are so lucky that, we can do that now because I have a Batman film for every freaking mood I could imagine. <laughs> That's true. I mean, there's, it, it's, it's great. And I, I actually, I, um, I enjoy that. I uh, relish that at this point in all seriousness. I embrace that about every Batman film. Yeah. Oh, I do have one more tiny little interesting tidbit. And you and I have talked about this before. But it's fascinating to me, and I don't know why. Um, but DC has officially cut the Schumacher films out of the canon that it existed in that they, they existed in in those in that four movie arc. So because of uh, the comic, the Batman eighty nine comic, um, Sam Hamm announced that the bat the Batman eighty nine comic is officially canon to Batman 89 and Batman returns and DC has officially listed the Schumacher movies as a separate universe. Well, they're doing that, I think for multiple reasons, but you see Canon is just whatever DC needs it to be to make the most money at the time. Oh yeah, you're right. Once the the flash comes out, they're going to say the comic is no longer Canon and (laughs) you know, they're well, I don't know. We don't know that Canon is BS to me. No, we don't know that for a fact, but to me, canon is whatever you make of it. Canon is the most overrated thing in comics, in my opinion. So, whatever. No, no, you're absolutely <laughs> I right. Care. I just thought it was such a fascinating <laughs> thing that they decided they needed to say that. So, yeah. I think everything is canon in the multiverse, so it's weird that they would even say that. Oh, you know what? You're right. Yeah, it happened somewhere. Yeah, like, what? It, I don't know. It's a weird thing to say. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, I agree with you. Um, I'm, I'm at a much better place with Batman and Robin now than I used to be. Um, is it a, is it a great film? No, it's, it's not. Um, everybody knows what the film is, but there are elements you can have fun with. Um, if you, again, if you just drop your preconceived notions and go in, you know, knowing it's a goofy insanity laced, uh, sort of pseudo homage to the 66 series, which I, that's what I think of it as now. 
Um, I think I think there's fun you can have with this film. Not saying you're going to have the most intellectual fun uh, or intellectual um, deep experience with this film because you're not. But just like any Batman iteration, there is entertainment and and some fun to be had um, if you let yourself. But that's hey, where else are you going to get Batman and Robin ice skating on with hockey sticks made of ice? shooting around a diamond with dinosaurs around. <laughs> I get it now. They played hockey in this movie. That's why you never hated it. It's it's a plus right off the bat for me. All right. Well, it's it's the most hockey you've watched in your entire life when you watch this movie. So. That's not true. That is not true. <laughs> okay. Anyway, that is that is kind of our look back, um, kind of an open discussion on 25 years of Batman and Robin. I hope you guys had fun with this. I hope you didn't turn it off as soon as you found out that we were talking about Batman and Robin. Um, but do not despair. We will talk about Batman Returns later this year. But we're not quite ready to leave you guys yet because we have another episode to celebrate the 30 years of Batman, the animated series. Okay, Joe, so this week our episode for our 30 years of BTAS celebration is Sins of the Father. Now on HBO Max, the release is Season 3, Episode 2. And interestingly enough, this is the DC Animated Universe origin of Tim Drake. So let's start off with a little synopsis here. Uh, When a street kid has a run-in with Two-Face, who we find out is looking for his father... We are introduced to Tim Drake as he is saved by Batman, who is then incapacitated and the uh, Tim's or Batman triggers the Batboat and it takes Tim and Batman back to the Batcave. After being initially awed by the Batcave, Tim sneaks into Wayne Manor and the study of Bruce Wayne, realizing who Batman is until he is caught by Batgirl. Batman questions Tim and realizes Tim's father has hidden chemicals Two-Face needs for his New plot at the Gotham airport. Batman and Batgirl try and fail to capture uh, Two-Face at the airport, and Tim later overhears Batman's discovery that Tim's father is dead. Batman uncovers Two-Face's plan and goes to stop him with Batgirl while telling Tim to stay behind at the cave. Tim, of course, dons the Robin costume and goes to help eventually helping to thwart Two-Face. As the episode ends, we see Batman has decided to train Tim as the new Robin, and Dick Grayson returns to pass on the mantle of Robin to Tim Drake. All right, Joe, so we both watched this episode in preparation for for the show tonight or today. Um, What did you think of this one? I I honestly, I couldn't remember what this episode was about just by the title, Um, but then I was was kind of intrigued to remember that this is the Tim Drake origin for BTAS. So what did you think, Joe? Yeah, I did the same thing as you. I did not recognize it by the title, but then once I clicked on it and I was like, Oh, it's, it's the the Tim Drake episode. And this is really the pilot of, I mean, it, it, I shouldn't say the pilot. It, it's, it's really the first episode though of the new Batman adventures because the, the real first episode is holiday nights. This is, like the first traditional episode that really introduces Tim as a character. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, 
I was actually really um, happy that this was on someone's list because this is a really great episode. It is one that I've really remember well with, um, you know, with the two face stuff with Tim's origin being a mix of Jason and Tim. And there's a lot of really good stuff in this episode. Um, I, I remember as a kid, I, did you watch the new Batman adventures when they first aired? I believe so. So I didn't cause I was, I was a little older by that point. And I just got done saying I watched Batman and Robin <laughs> as, a, <laughs> as a 10 year old. It's the same year, but for whatever reason, by September, I was kind of out of the loop of the cartoons. And cause you know, Batman and Robin is much more sophisticated than the, you know, the Saturday morning cartoons. Oh, so um, much more. <laughs> but I think what it was funny. Cause I would catch this once in a while. I, I, I watched a couple episodes, but I didn't pay attention to the comics at this point in my life. So I didn't know who this little kid was that was Robin because I knew Dick Grayson is Robin as a, you know, a teenager or whatever, because again, I only knew the Schumacher movies or, you know, the animated series. Mm -hmm. So when I would turn this on and see this little kid as Robin, I didn't know what was going on. I was like, is this a prequel show? I, I really didn't know until I really started watching it more and more and learning about it. But, I didn't know anything about the accuracy of the character or who he was or um, why the costume was different. I, I knew nothing about uh, what the story was behind the new Batman adventures until years later when I really rewatched the whole show. Mm. Well, I'll tell you, I, um, I did not remember much about the episode, but I immediately remembered this was the Tim Drake origin um, right off the bat. I'm going to say, I hate the designs of the 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 revamped uh, the new adventures designs. I really don't mm -hmm. like the design of Batman. I, I've never gotten over it. <laughs> um, yeah, the Batman design never bothered me as much. It was a step down for me from the animated series. Um, yeah, I will say it looks crisp and clear and wonderful uh, in the HD update, but it, it's still I don't I just don't like those designs. But anyway. Um, so I liked this episode. I didn't love this episode. And I think it's because of, you know, exactly what the issues are here. I think this is more Jason Todd than it is Tim Drake. Um, and I know it's kind of an amalgam. Um, I know now doing some research that they couldn't use Jason Todd because obviously he was dead in the comics this time. They didn't want to drag that all up. So, um, they kind of morphed the characters of Jason Todd and Tim Drake. And I don't know. It's, I like Tim Drake so much and I like everything that it is about his character. It's just kind of weird that, that Tim Drake is this street kid and his dad's a criminal in this, in this origin. I don't know. It's like I said, I like it. I like the story that they tell in the episode, but it, I just don't love it. Does that make sense? Yeah. It it's hard to come to terms with that after the fact. Like I can understand people not liking it after knowing who Jason Todd and Tim Drake are in the comics and all that. When I first saw this and first got into this, I still didn't really know much about that. So I just kind of took it as what it was and it didn't bother me. Mm -hmm. Where even now I, it's really only this episode where they show that side of the character that leans towards Jason. Once you get past this episode, He's really an original character, in my opinion. Like, I don't think he really takes much from either 
um, portrayal, to be honest with you. I, I think he's he's definitely more Tim than Jason going forward, though, I believe. He's not he's not the unlikable Robin that Jason was in the comics. And I think he is the he's the more intelligent, respectable Robin that Tim became. Mm-hmm. So I never had a problem with that. And I get the the origin is definitely more interesting if you're not going to do Jason in between, you can't like to go right to Tim's origin would be kind of boring. The reason Tim's origin worked so well is because people needed something after Jason. So I get the kind of have your cake and eat it too with the, with the creators here. And I, I never had an issue with it. Well, I would argue that, that without the death of Jason Todd, it actually fit. It would fit better because you didn't want to use a kid dying on a kid's TV show at the time. Exactly. But you do have the story. It's built in. They even use it at the end. Dick Grayson has moved on. He's not part of the Bat family anymore. And I think Mm -hmm. you could still tell that story of Tim Drake realizing that Batman needs a Robin. And this kid that that loves Batman and loves Robin. That's a good point. I I was thinking more along the lines of just the, the kid at the circus that determined who was who. Um deciding you know discovering himself who was batman who was robin i i don't know i like the the jason origin i think it was just what they did with the character after that bothers me yeah i think it's the i want i wanted more of the detective that tim drake is other than kind of the street smart kid i could see that yeah um so that, that that was that's my biggest complaint of the of the episode now despite the complaints i still think there was some good storytelling here um, and I also love the inclusion of Two-Face because that does lend, you know, that kind of homages the lonely place of dying, having Two-Face be the main antagonist. Yeah, Two-Face had a lot of run-ins with Jason too, though, I believe. So it, it's a it's kind of a no-brainer villain to put for this because it works for both characters. Yeah. Um, I honestly, even though I've complained about this origin a little bit, um, I think this could have been a... F- this could have been fleshed out a little bit. I think this was a story much like with Robin's reckoning. This was a, I think this could have been a solid two part Robin story. Whereas I think in this episode, they tried to jam a lot into the 20 minute runtime. Yeah. Well, this definitely went more Saturday morning cartoons yeah. than the original Batman, the animated, which is ironic because the sensors got looser in this too. Like it was very odd how this this show morphed from Batman the Animated Series, where the censors were stricter, but they told more adult stories, mm-hmm. to then being Saturday morning, geared more towards kids, but the censors got a little bit looser with things. Like they flat out say, "Kill the kid." You were not allowed to say "kill him" in Batman the Animated Series. Do you remember that? Yeah, it was always destroy or something like that. Yes. So, like, when they went to Channel 11, I mean, it's Channel 11 here. I don't know if it was Channel 11 nationally, but it was, like, uh, Pix 11 for me. Like, when they went to that, the the sensors got looser. But, yeah, it's – I understand what you're saying about the whole, you know, cramming it into one episode. I think they just wanted to introduce this Robin and, for lack of a better term, get it over with to introduce him. Yeah. And just move on to it being kind of like how Batman the Animated Series was. Just hit the ground running and tell stories. Yeah, and I agree with that. Um, I With your comment about the censors, I also noticed, I mean, Batman straight up, you saw him punch people in the face. 
which is something. <laughs> so you had to have been happy that you finally see him. Punch I him. did. I was like, oh god, they, yeah. finally. <laughs> so uh, it's a little clunky and blockier than it was in the animated series, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Just a, so, but yeah, it's th- there was good and bad to have with the new adventures. Yeah, and I think also the two parter, they would have had to do it a week apart because this was always aired with Superman, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah. 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 But I, I don't know. I, once I like, Oh, okay. They're not doing the traditional Tim Drake. I, I mean, I had fun watching this episode, but there was just enough of holding me back from, from loving it. I, I think I put it, it's probably upper mid tier yeah. of the episodes for me. My favorite part of the episode is that they can look at the, outline of a key on a piece of paper and know exactly where that key was for because Batman. Hey, <laughs> reasons. Yeah, exactly. You know. Um I think my favorite part of the episode like I said uh, other I mean taking away everything all the nitpicks and stuff. My favorite part is that Dick Grayson showed up at the end to kind of you know s- signal the end he, of his Robin and and usher in yes, Tim Drake's time. Did did he not have a mullet in this episode? I couldn't tell because he may, maybe I, it was so, tied in a ponytail and we couldn't see it. <laughs> yeah, because I always felt like he he didn't have one in this episode, and I feel like that I always remembered that. But it could just be yeah, you're only seeing him from the front. It looks like but a yeah, crew it's, cut it is, the way you see him, but I don't know. Yeah, and it's cool because this and old wounds would act as a pretty cool two parter. It's. It's not traditionally a two-parter, obviously, mm-hmm. but those two episodes would go really good hand-in-hand hand because they're telling, you know, very similar stories in a way that Robin's Reckoning did. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I, I, I do really like this episode. I'm glad someone chose this and we got to talk about it. And it was a nice surprise that it was a new Batman Adventures episode because I didn't... Uh, I don't know how many of those we have on the list. No, I'd have to count it up. Um, but yeah, it was it was nice. Uh, it's it's refer- we haven't had one of those yet. So and spoilers, we will be returning to the uh, the first series <laughs> on our next episode. But uh, and and I I gotta say I I do. This is Tara Strong that does Batgirl. I think so. Yeah. Um, I prefer Tara Strong as Batgirl. Um, versus her as Harley. Yeah. Oh no. Um, as opposed to the woman that does it in the, the animated series. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's interesting. I don't know that I have a preference between those two. And it's not because I dislike. Um, and I, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on the actress that does it in Batman the animated series. It just for whatever reason, I I hear Tower Strong more when I when I listen to uh, Batgirl or when I read a comic or something. Right. Um, okay, so that's kind of uh, that's kind of our look at this episode. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to bring up be- before we end it here, Joe? Nope, I'm good. All right. Well, uh, I wish I could give credit to, to whoever chose this episode. Unfortunately, um, I think it's a Twitter account that's either been deleted or suspended or something because I can't see it in the comments on that initial post. So if you chose this episode and it was one person, because I do have the stats written down, one person chose this episode. And unfortunately I don't have your name available anymore. I want to give you credit. So if you're still listening and I hope you are, um, send us a message, shoot us an email, something, let us know that you claim this episode and I will absolutely give you credit for it. But our next episode for you guys to prepare 
I'm excited about this one, Joe. I don't know if anybody else will be, but I am. Because the next episode we're going to cover is Moon of the Wolf. I knew that was going to be the one when you said you were excited about it. <laughs> like, is it so? Is that because you chose it, or someone else chose it? It was randomly selected. I put it. I put all of these into a random generator online, and I no, no, no. I mean, did someone else choose this besides you? Oh no, I or think was I it was only the only chosen? one. You talking about? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I didn't know if like. I didn't know if you put our selections in the list or you just put. Yeah. Else. Every episode that was selected uh, either by us or the listeners, I put, I put on the list. So, okay. Um, but <laughs> I, I know at least one other person that likes moon of the wolf and that's Ryan Lauer. So Ryan, me and you buddy next time. I hope you enjoy. <laughs> well, apparently, apparently me too. So, <laughs> Oh, you like moon of the wolf? No, I have to watch it though. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> You got my hopes up there. So. I, no, <laughs> I I will say I had a because when you picked it, I remember looking it up, and didn't I? I come to find out, Len Wein actually wrote yeah. it. Yeah. So that that intrigued me a little bit because I I don't remember much about the episode. So I'm I'll 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 uh I'll report back after I watch it. I'll give it a fair shake, but I don't remember falling in love with it as much as you. But who knows? It's it's usually pretty far down on people's rankings. So I. It, I'm not gonna be. I'm not gonna have my feelings hurt if you're if you're not over the moon about it. <laughs> over the no, over funny. the moon. Look at Although I, I love everything, so you know something's got to be pretty bad. If I'm like, Ugh. I'm scared of that. I'm scared you're gonna trash it next week, and then I'm gonna feel bad. Do <laughs> <laughs> you imagine someone? Someone like I. I'm on here like you know praising Batman and Robin and, and everything every week, and then someone picks like, and I'm not even talking about you, like someone picks a Batman at the animated series episode, and I come on here and I'm like, oh, I hated this I'm episode. writing that, that down person. as a note right now. Joe praised Batman and Robin. <laughs> so I can remember that next week. <laughs> yeah. Alright, Joe, we're going to wrap it up right there. Uh, it was great to, to get back and record again. It's been too long. Hopefully there is not as big of a gap next time. But uh, thank you. Thank you so much for, for joining me once again. I uh, couldn't do it without you, buddy. Yep. Thank you for having me back. It was fun. Uh, definitely a, an interesting topic. And it's, it's yeah, it's it's a cool one to, to discuss once in a while and look at it from uh, from different different perspective than what we might have talked about it if this was, you know, 10, 15 years ago. So absolutely. Thank you for having me back. Absolutely. Uh, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on social media? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Vero, and Letterboxd as Joe. I'm sorry, J Forn Eleven, um, and you can find me on Facebook as Joe Fornarato. F O R N A R O T T O. It's been so long you can't even remember your handles. No, it's <laughs> more like I, I don't even remember what the heck I have anymore. I know it's always J Forn Eleven. I think that's that's just pretty consistent. So. <laughs> But yeah. All right. Well, as for myself, you can find my personal accounts on Instagram and Twitter and Letterboxd at MeCarter89. That's M-E-Carter89. The show can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at TFRBatPod. If you take a moment out of your day to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, it greatly helps the show, helps us gain exposure, helps people find us. Uh, And if you do, we will read those reviews on the show. We also read listener emails, so if you have one for us, send that to tfrbatpod at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, 
and we do not ask that you spend a dime on this show. But if you do, we greatly appreciate it. Uh, you can do that at redbubble.com. Just go to redbubble.com and search Shop TFR, all one word. But we'd like to thank you so much for joining us for this celebration of the under-celebrated Batman and Robin. And also for our next episode of Batman the Animated Series. So thanks again, and we hope to see you again very, very soon. But until then, remember everybody, chill. Is there something wrong, sir? Alfred, am I pig-headed? Is it, is it always my way or the highway? Well, yes, actually. Death and chance stole your parents. But rather than become a victim, you have done everything in your power to control the fates. For what is Batman? if not an effort to master the chaos that sweeps our world. An attempt to control death itself. can't, can I? None of us can.